0: Good morning church, beautiful sunshine and uh, we pray today that the Lord will speak uh, through his word. I I know I've been very challenged as I've been studying first Thessalonians Uh, and I don't know if you've ever asked yourself the question where is the perfect church Uh, and you know what the answer to that is isn't it? Well if there is one then don't go there right (laughs) because it'll no longer be perfect Uh, There was another friend of mine, missionary friend, who used to say as well, wherever there's sheep, there's poop. Uh, And I thought that was very appropriate as well, Uh, an appropriate description of church. Because church is is generally a messy kind of a place, isn't it? With a lot of broken people uh, with all of their their baggage, uh, spiritual baggage, full of um, all kinds of hang-ups and weird personalities. I'm talking about myself here, okay, not you guys. Uh, So, As we look at a New Testament church today, uh, this church is the closest thing that is this side of heaven to perfection. All right. So thinking about the model church of the Thessalonians, it's an incredible story of God's amazing grace in their lives. A couple of pictures for you. This group of people lived in Thessalonica which was uh, the provincial capital of Macedonia. So in present day Greece Thessalonica was an important trade hub uh, as its port opened onto the Aegean Sea and it was one of the most important roads um, on one of the most important roads in the Roman Empire. So some recent excavations unearthed a 400 seat indoor complex. Uh, coin mint a bath complex and various shops and storage rooms likely used for commerce Uh, so Thessalonica the city has been the modern city is built on its on on the old city so it's kind of hard to to uncover some of um, the 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 sites of what where the city previously was so they've only uncovered a a small amount Um, and also obviously the Roman gods were worshipped in that city so what exactly happened there What was it that was so amazing that brought this uh, group of heathen god, multi-god worshippers into a brand new relationship with Jesus Christ and transformed them so incredibly that news of it spread all around the province and beyond? Well, in Acts chapter 17, uh, Luke, the author, writes a little bit about what happened during those days. So let's just read that. And find out what exactly happened. So, Paul and Silas are on their second missionary journey. They came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. And for three Sabbaths in a row, Paul used the scriptures to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, This Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. But some of the Jews were jealous, so they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could bring them out to the crowd. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas off to Berea. So here we go. You can see Thessalonica right in the center there in the province of Macedonia. This is all the information pretty much we have from Luke's account of what happened. It was a few weeks uh, of sharing the gospel, a bunch of people becoming believers, a riot and a hasty departure. I don't know if you've ever had to leave kids behind uh, in an unknown situation. Maybe you've sent your kids to camp or maybe to school for the first time, and you know what that feeling's like inside, you're wondering how they're doing, uh, and you've got uh, fear and trepidation, hoping that somehow they've, they've managed to uh, endure that situation. Or perhaps um, a little more closer to home for some, the war in the Ukraine, as we look back over a year since that began. And we saw on our TV screens, didn't we, loved ones uh, having to say goodbye to family and friends, and and husbands, fathers, uh, as they fled from the Ukraine. And so many questions on their mind, how were their loved ones doing? Paul, no doubt, as he fled from uh, the persecution that came up there in Thessalonica, had those same questions too. Waiting is agonizing, isn't it? Was the persecution too great? Was all the investment and suffering for nothing. And as Paul now in the the city of Athens further down the coast there, uh, finally when he could stand it no longer, he sent Timothy uh, to go and find out how the believers were doing. When Timothy returned, his report caused Paul to grab his quill and parchment and write his first letter. Of the Thessalonians, which we will now read the first chapter together. Deborah, come on up and read that to us. Thank you.
1: Good morning, church. Good morning. As Dan said today, that Paul went to Athens and Thessalonica, he wrote the, his book in Greek. So I am going to read the first verse in Greek and then the rest in English. Let me put my glasses, I can't see. O Pavlos, O Siliano, and O and Theopatri, and ton Isu Christo. Χάρις Naines σε σάσκε Ιρίνη απο τον Θεόν τον πατέρα μας και απο τον κύριο Ἰησού Χριστό. We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. As we pray to our God the Father about you, we think of your faithful work your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true, and you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit, in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitate both of us, both us and the Lord. As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. And now the word of the Lord is is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We won't need to tell them about it For they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for all the apostles and all the evangelists and all the missionaries that are spreading your word all around the world, Lord, to praise you and glorify you, Lord, and follow your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank
0: you very much. Yes, so as we read the words of Paul, Paul, we get the impression as you continue down through the chapters that Paul is over the moon with what he's seeing uh, and hearing about his spiritual children there in Thessalonica. Um, A little bit like a father writing a letter to a a, a son or a daughter, uh, extolling them for their academic or sporting achievements. It reminded me a little bit about my my school reports. Uh, This isn't actually one of mine, but... (laughs) it probably, in some ways, would reflect them. Not the A's, I would say, but probably more the B's, C's, and E's on there. Uh, compared to my sister's school reports, which came back with glowing A's uh, and, and very good's and well done's from the teachers, mine generally came with the comments, could do better. Uh, as I read this letter of Thessalonians, I'm, I'm both... Thrilled and challenged. In some ways, I prefer reading the letters uh, where churches had issues like like the First Corinthians. uh, Because that that resonates more with me than a church that seems to be doing so well. They seem to be flawless in every department. And that's what you get, the impression of this church. Even though Paul had only been with them for a few weeks, they were standing strong on the gospel. Uh, They were they were proclaiming the truth of Jesus to other people despite strong opposition. For me, church is often a place where, where we, uh, we look at ourselves as broken, baggage-carrying sinners. But you know what? That's not how God sees us, is it? And so we don't want to focus on that. And I think that's the beautiful picture of the Thessalonians. Their church uh, was characterized by strength. Uh, by perseverance, by hope, by love. And that's what we should be focusing on too. Not necessarily what we are in ourselves, but what we are in Christ. And what God wants us to be as well. So let's look at a a few areas that Paul in this chapter uh, celebrates as he reflects on what he's hearing about the Thessalonians Firstly, he he says in verse 1 that they are the church. And as Alan reminded us a few weeks ago, the word church, ecclesia, means to be called out, to be chosen if you like. Verse 4 also uh, tells us that God chose you. And when we think about that, we we think about a a pagan polytheistic society that Paul uh, was bringing this new message into and out of that bunch of people, God chose these people to understand and believe the gospel message. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, uh, many times we've, we've talked about with different people, different Christians, about the, the whole idea of election, uh, predestination, and of course it, it causes and creates a lot of arguments, doesn't it, a lot of questions in our minds, because it's very difficult to reconcile uh, God's sovereignty, a man's sovereignty. Uh, responsibility very very difficult and I'm not going to attempt to do that today you'll be glad to know but what we do know is that salvation God's way of saving people from their sins is all of him it's not Jesus plus good works it's Jesus plus nothing it's all of him even the faith to believe it didn't originate with us did it Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 reminds us that Jesus is the author Or the pioneer of our faith he's the one that sets it in motion and it was by so it was by his grace that he allowed us to hear the gospel message and he's the one that brought fruit into our hearts as a result of that and by God's grace he will see it through to completion on the day when Jesus returns or we go to be with him through death and it reminds me of the the song that we sing so often one of the most famous uh Christian songs, Amazing Grace, where John Newton wrote, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." And that's so true, isn't it? And grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. It was all of grace. So does does election, does God's choosing raise some difficult questions about God? Of course it does, doesn't it? But let's not let's remind ourselves that firstly, God has no obligation to extend grace to anyone. None of us deserve his kindness, do we? We're all deserving of his wrath. Romans chapter 3 reminds us that we've all rejected God. We've gone our own way, we've made ourselves king. Therefore, we deserve God's wrath. But God wants all to come to repentance. Second Peter 3, verse 9 says that. He's not willing that any should perish but people refuse to come think about the words of jesus in matthew 23:37 he said oh jerusalem jerusalem the city that kills the prophets and stones god's messengers how often i wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings but you wouldn't let me doesn't that sum up the human heart we can't adequately explain god's sovereignty and man's responsibility But we know that God has chosen some and it is the responsibility of the church collectively throughout the world to to take the good news to people so they have the chance to hear. So if you're a Christian today, it's your job and it's mine. The good news must be communicated in order for people to come to faith. There is no other way. There isn't a plan B. God's plan is to use the church to present the gospel to people. And today, there are over 7,000 people groups still waiting to hear on planet Earth. Whose job is it? It's the churches. It's ours. If you're a follower of Christ today, it's your job and it's mine. He wants to use you to reach others. So that's the first thing that, that Paul celebrates was that they were chosen by God. And secondly, uh, Paul delves a little more deeply into this topic, but how God has transformed them So just like uh, pulse and breathing and responding to stimuli as signs of physical life, uh, the Thessalonian church exhibited three signs of spiritual life that we'll look at together. And the first one is this one, that in verse 3, Paul says their work of faith. So just like getting married, a a single guy, uh, his apartment probably isn't going to stay the same once his wife moves in. In the same way, when Jesus moves into a a heart of repentance, change comes about as a result. I heard one guy say that before he got married, he could carry most of his earthly earthly belongings in the back of his car. After he was married a few years, he said, we can't even fit the pillows alone in our house in a transit van. Uh, How true is that, isn't it? And faith itself... Uh, says says this this passage that it was a faith that worked it was the work of faith it was a faith that worked it wasn't sentimentality it wasn't a head knowledge it was faith that worked James chapter two tells us that faith without works is what is dead isn't it in other words saying you believe but continuing to live a selfish disobedient life actually shows that you don't truly believe it's just an intellectual faith in fact james goes on to say even harsher words that the demons themselves have that kind of faith they believe in god they believe that jesus died and rose again but they don't have saving faith saving faith is demonstrated by by life change remember recently talking to somebody uh, who claimed they were a Christian because they prayed the sinner's prayer when they were young. And yet many years on, 30 years on, there's no evidence of any life change. There's no desire to follow Jesus, to know him more, to share his, his gospel with people. It's a sense of, I've got my fire insurance and I'm fine. But is that what true saving faith is? This is what one commentator said. The person who claims to be one of God's elect, but whose life is not changed, is only fooling himself. Those whom God chooses, he changes. This doesn't mean they're perfect, but they are possessors of a new life that cannot be hidden. I'm not saying you can't be a Christian and still struggle with sin. There is a difference in struggling with sinning and practicing of sin. Struggling with sin means falling back into things you've repented of or turned your back on. Practicing sin means you keep intentionally doing those things because you've never taken Jesus' lordship that seriously. So the Thessalonians exhibited real faith, a faith that worked, a faith that could be viewed. Their faith was also tested. The Bible here in this passage tells us they received the word in much affliction life for them was hard it was a difficult choice to follow Jesus one sure way of determining whether somebody has genuine faith or not is by the pressure how they how they do under pressure think about the parable of the four soils that Jesus told uh, where he tells us that the soil went out and some Seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Or some fell on the rocky soil, and it very quickly grew. And then, when the sun grew hot, it withered away. Or some got choked by the plants. If you remember the the parable, three out of four recipients of the gospel message rejected it in one form or another. And sooner or later, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, your faith is going to be tested. And it's an interesting word in the New Testament. Uh, The word "docimos" is an interesting word because it was used as a uh, a, a, as an approval, if you like, or a genuineness of uh, a coin. So, if you think about when coins were minted in the Roman Empire, they would often use silver, and they would use a a die stamp Uh, that would use leave the imprint in it. Well, uh, well, people uh, people would try and forge. Coins and do, make a forgery of them would use often use a, a, a lesser quality metal like uh, like copper, and then they would cover it in a, a thin silver veneer, so far less precious and and uh, far more easily t- to make. And they would stamp that. And one way that they would test to see the quality of the coin was to actually hit it with a chisel, and that would show up whether the core was made of silver or a lesser metal. If it, if it endured the, the chisel uh, and you could still see that, that it was silver throughout, then it was stamped, as it were, Docimos was the word. And that's very much what the New Testament tells us about, the, the testing process that Christians go through to see if their faith is genuine or not. That's what happened to the Thessalonians. Thirdly, their faith went viral uh, we, we read about it in that chapter that the, the word spread throughout the entire province and beyond into Macedonia and Achaia. True faith simply won't stay quiet, will it? If there's genuine faith, it will not stay quiet. And it's not that we're all gifted evangelists, but if we know Jesus as savior, then there's this burning desire to share that good news with other people. And I don 't know about you, but I love reading stories of uh, great feats of faith if you 've ever heard of the Moravian Brethren, they were a, a, a church group in the eighteenth century in uh, what is today the Czech Republic. They sent out many missionaries all over the world, and ones that that very much stuck in my mind was was two men who wanted to go and reach the uh, uh, part of the the, the East Indies area of the world and places where there was huge amounts of slavery. They were even prepared to sell themselves uh, at the slave market so they could go and reach some of those slaves. Quite incredible. Or uh, of a Chinese uh, pastor of the underground church while in prison was working on a collective farm uh, was able to sneak out at night and go share the gospel with people in the nearby villages and sneak back in the morning without getting caught. Love seeing that faith, true faith simply won 't keep quiet and fourthly, their faith was countercultural again, First Thessalonians tells us in verse nine that they they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. so traditional Roman religion was interwoven into the very fabric of Roman society. So even though we don't fully understand uh, all the pressures that were upon them, no doubt they had to go against their family values and societal values to worship the one true God and to ditch their old polytheistic worldviews. I'm sure they were put under a lot of pressure uh, to bow to their old gods. But they didn't. They turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So the bottom line, true faith expresses itself by obedience to Jesus. How does your faith match up? Yours and mine. Are you a head knowledge Christian? Or do you see your faith in Jesus filling you with new desires to use your time, your talents, and your treasure for him? The Thessalonians lived out to what they believed, even though it cost them dearly. All right. Secondly, verse 3 tells us that they had a labor of love. That's how it's described, their labor of love. I love that. Uh, their, their faith or their, their love for one another was absolutely legendary. 1 Thessalonians 4 Verse 9 says, but we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. So, Test number two of spiritual life is how do we love? How do we love other people? The Apostle John puts it like this, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life but a person who has no love is still dead that's 1 John three fourteen. and history reveals how one emperor of the the Roman em- Empire uh, was embarrassed by the love of Christians for for one another for for the way they loved the outcast the way they they would care for the abandoned babies uh, for the fact that they would they would show genuine love and care for people who were seriously ill, maybe plague vic- victims. It showed up the heartlessness of uh, pagan idolatry. And the same, the question for you and I is, how is it possible to experience the love of Jesus in forgiving us, paying our sin debt, adopting us into his family, a million other blessings, and yet not extend that in some measure to another human being made in the image of God if we're unmoved and cold cold cold-hearted by all that Christ has done for us then we're likely still unregenerate thing is in our world today uh, the idea of love is very very skewed isn't it we hear it again and again Um, loving people doesn't mean agreeing with their behavior or affirming their lifestyle choices Biblical Christ-like love means sacrificing your own needs for the good of others, standing up for the marginalized and downtrodden, encouraging the fearful, caring for the needy, giving when it hurts, and laying your lives down for each other. That's what true love looks like, biblical love. Now, I know uh, Dan last week um, exhibited a, a book, and I've got a new book for you as well to challenge you to to buy and read. It's not on the book stand. I'll have to have a word with Sue after. But it's called "I Stand with Christ." I got it for my for Christmas from Ben, and once I started reading it, it was hard to put it down. It's it's a, a pastor or a leader of one of the 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 underground church networks in China. He recounts his own life story. This guy. Um, had spent over 15 years in prison on and off and endured some of the most terrible uh, torture and persecution that one could ever imagine. But one of the, the stories that really jumped out that showed me how they loved each other, Christians in prison, he said, during those days, food rations got even tighter when food became scarcer, fights among the prisoners over food became more frequent. Many of the prisoners began acting like rabid dogs. If they didn't receive enough food, they would snarl at the server. If someone reached into another else's bowl, someone else's bowl or took another person's share of food, he would be mercilessly assaulted. Some prisoners would eat their food as fast as they could and then viciously try to steal from others. But the Christians in, in that prison willingly shared their food. They gave. They prayed together. They sang. They showed the love of Christ in a really hostile environment. And there's so many other stories that I'd love to be, have the time to read to you, but get the book. Um, I, I can well, It's well worth a read, and I'm sure you won't be able to put it down like me. letter to the Hebrews reminds us that we should consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Uh, We need to be inspired, don't we? And it's looking at Jesus and what he has done that inspires us the most. Good deeds don't save us, but they show that we've been saved It's evidence of real life transformation. And finally, Paul tells us in verse 3 that these new Christians, they and en- they had an enduring hope and that's a third sign of spiritual life a hope that doesn't give up I don't know about you yesterday if you were before you watched the Wales England match were you hopeful were you hoping against hope that they would be able to beat the English uh, well I guess I was but that's worldly hope isn't it that's the hope that people on this planet have that's about as far as it gets but biblical hope is so different, isn't it? It's, it's a certainty. We know it's going to happen. And these new Christians, uh, they were waiting expectantly for the return of Jesus. And I love that. I remember when I was a young Christian, uh, 18, 19, 20, uh, there was a lot of talk back in those days in church about Jesus is coming back uh, Let's be ready. Let's talk about it. Let's encourage one another. And I feel in a sense, uh, maybe I've lost the, the expectancy of that in my own Christian life. I remember hearing of a, of a couple, every night before they went to bed, they would both say to each other, maybe tonight, maybe tonight, this is the night Jesus is going to return. We need to live in, a, in the, uh, the light of the expectancy of the return of Jesus. Not in idleness, not kind of quitting our jobs and And hoping that he comes back uh, but in in service and anticipation of what's to come hope kept their eyes fixed on the future not on the present troubles so where's your focus today where's your hope is it buried under the weight of all your problems all your burdens does it seem so distant This is what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. He says, That's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we can see now will soon be gone, but the things we can see will last forever. I heard somebody say this, and it's so true. Imagine you had a lost, uh, a long lost uncle, uh, and he, he bequeathed to you a billion pounds. How many of you here would be quite happy about that? All right. You got the letter. You got the cheque. All you had to do was go to the bank to get to sign for it, and the money would be yours. Uh, jump in your car on the way to the bank, about a mile from the bank, your car breaks down. What would your attitude be like in that moment? Would you jump out of your car, start kicking the tires and shout at the car, I'm so mad with you? No, you'd probably run the rest of the way to the bank, wouldn't you, quite happily. It's all about perspective, isn't it? It's all about perspective. And when you know Jesus is returning and the glory that he's going to reveal one day uh, we can skip as it were all the way through the rest of our days to what god has for us in eternity that's the hope we have that's the certainty so the thessalonians were characterized by faith hope and love the three cardinal virtues of the christian life and the three greatest evidences of salvation so to sum up they were brand new christians They were separated from their spiritual mentor and leader, the Apostle Paul. And they were experiencing strong opposition. You'd think it was the perfect storm for them to fall away. But instead, they stood strong, joyfully loving each other, sharing their faith, and waiting expectantly for Jesus' return. What a church, you might say, right? What a church. But no, what a savior. Why? Because God gets all the credit. He does the saving. He's the one who does the transforming. It's by His grace that they got through every circumstance and that we do too. It's His power that enables us to live counterculturally. And the steadfast hope and certainty of future glory comes from Him. It's His story, it's His gospel, it's His power. So I, you and I need to ask ourselves a question do we want to live like that? I'm sure if you're a follower of Jesus, then you want to say yes. Well, so what's the key? The key is in surrendering to Jesus, isn't it? The key is in the gospel message. Put your life in his hands. Take him at his word. Believe his promises and follow him where he leads. That's where new life, transforming power, persevering faith, and Christ-like love are found. Or maybe you're the religious type today. Maybe you're trying to please God by your church attendance and good deeds. But religion will lead you nowhere but pride or despair. Pride, because you look down on other people thinking you're better than them. Despair, you haven't met the mark. That's where religion leads. Or maybe yours is an intellectual faith with no substance. Maybe you're like that guy that I was talking to recently who prayed a sinner's prayer, but there's no evidence of new life maybe you've never surrendered to Jesus maybe you've never allowed him to be king of your life or perhaps you're you're a Christian today maybe being a Christian for many years and you've lost that sense of joy you've lost that sense of expectancy that faith that love that hope well you need to get your eyes back on Jesus it's time to get back to the gospel That's where it all began for the Thessalonians, and that's where it begins for us, and it doesn't end there. Like somebody said, the the gospel message is not the diving board. It's the pool itself. It's what we need to saturate our souls with, fill our minds with, infuse our beings with. So let's start living in the light of who we are and what God has called us to, and allow him to make the changes. And then Maybe, just maybe, we will become that model church that the Thessalonians were and they lived it out to the glory of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we reflect upon what you did there in that, that province of Macedonia among, among the people of Thessalonica living in their, their pagan uh, polytheistic society We thank you that Paul brought the message of life, the message of truth, the message of hope and peace into that situation. And out of that came forth those people who were willing to stand for Jesus, willing to make a difference, willing to live by faith. Our God, we pray today in those areas of our lives where where we need that fresh infusion of your power, your spirit, Lord, to reignite that hope and that love and that faith that you started so long ago. We pray for that within, within us today. And Lord, if there are people today still uh, wavering between true faith and uh, an intellectual faith, we pray today that you break through, that they would surrender to you today. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray that it would penetrate our souls. And you'd make those necessary changes, we ask in your precious name. Amen.